Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. I'm glad you're here. If you've been listening to the show for the past few weeks, you may have heard me mention an announcement that I was waiting to make. And if you follow me or the show on social media, you may have seen something about that already this weekend. But if not, if you're just finding God Knows Where, first off, I'm glad you're here. Secondly, here's the news. God Knows Where is now a part of Good Faith Media's podcast network. They've created and host a number of podcasts on the intersection of faith and culture, like The Raceless Gospel, Brother Molly, and Good Faith Weekly. And I had the chance to speak with Mitch and Missy Randall last week on Good Faith Weekly about God Knows Where. And I'll link to that episode in the show notes so you can hear me talk more about the show, but also so you can see more of what Good Faith Media is all about. Because for years, I've trusted Good Faith Media's coverage of the intersections of religion and culture. I've trusted them as a trustworthy source of reflection and consideration on the impact current events have on religion and vice versa. So I'm thrilled that they have decided to welcome my little podcast into their fold. So if you're ever looking for ways to consider how your faith and our world intersect, I'd encourage you to visit Good Faith Media and check out any of their articles or Nurturing Faith books and all the other resources that they have to offer. I'll put a link to their website in the show notes as well. In fact, it's the confluence of their recent series on creation care and Earth Day and my travels this past weekend to the annual gathering of the Alliance of Baptists that formed today's episode. So thanks for listening. I'm glad you're here. Don't forget to follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating or a review there too so that more folks can find God knows where. Anyways, I hope you enjoy today's episode line drawings. Saturday was Earth Day, and it's the day where we remember, where we take time to remember, as Mitch Randall wrote last week in an article for Good Faith Media, that, quote, it's beyond time that we start taking our symbiotic relationship with the Earth and our responsibility as creation caretakers seriously. Humanity is not set apart from creation. Humanity is a part of creation with a specific responsibility. End quote. This one planet with the dirt beneath our feet that produces so much of what we eat and that has air all around us that keeps us alive, this is the only home we have. The only one of its kind that we know of. And we've been given the task of taking care of it. For some reason, Earth Day always makes me want to take that journey that Woody Guthrie sang about and remember that this land is ours to care for. Now, we weren't in the Redwood Forest or by any Gulf Stream waters this weekend on Earth Day. We were in Atlanta. My family spent much of the day at a botanical garden on a beautiful spring day with friends while I spent much of it at our old church in Decatur hearing from a group of folks who are trying to protect one of the largest remaining urban forests from being developed into a police training facility and listening to Niall Fort reimagine Jesus' parable of the fig tree and learning from Derricka Purnell of a study that found that less affluent neighborhoods in America are around 10 degrees warmer than their wealthier neighbors, in large part because they tend to have significantly fewer trees naturally 
cooling them down. And in the midst of all of this, I did what I often do on Earth Day, and I thought about that first chapter of Genesis, that poem that we have that tells us of how this planet we're spinning around on came to be. But what struck me in remembering that poem this past week was the reminder that the earth didn't come to us or we didn't come to the earth with any boundaries. The earth wasn't made with any lines in the sand. There were no walls, no borders, nothing to defend. The earth didn't come to us divided. It was made whole. It was made perfectly to sustain life. We're the ones that have divided it and subdivided it. We're the ones who have mapped it with latitudes and longitudes and chosen to live and to love and to fight and to die, not over the planet we've been given, but rather over the lines we've imagined on top of it. Mason-Dixon, Maginot, walls like Hadrian's and Berlin and the great one that can be seen from space. And sometimes the lines or the walls aren't even that big. Sometimes they're just fences between us and our neighbors or survey markers that are covered over by woods. Sometimes those are the ones we fight the hardest over, aren't they? Instead of caring for and protecting this one planet, we get the incredible chance to live on. We spend our time fighting over these arbitrary boundaries we've created. We focus so tightly on the lines we've drawn and the walls we've built that we struggle to zoom out and see the bigger picture. That's why I love Carl Sagan's quote about looking back to Earth and seeing the planet from space and never seeing any of the lines, none of what divides us. In his book Cosmos, Sagan wrote, quote, National boundaries are not evident when we view the earth from space, fanatical, ethnic, or religious, or national chauvinisms are a little difficult to maintain when we see our planet as a fragile blue crescent fading to become an inconspicuous point of light against the bastion and citadel of the stars. I wish I could write as well as Carl Sagan, but I love what he says because to me, at least, it echoes so much of what we hear from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time talking about boundaries, especially the ones we can't stop drawing. And, and when he does talk about boundaries, it's often about breaking them down, like the theological and the geographical barriers that are established between Jews and Samaritans. He showed little concern for that border. In John 4, especially, when he chose to walk through Samaria, when he could have taken another, supposedly a friendlier route to get where he was going. He chose to walk through Samaria to prove a point that such a boundary was meaningless and that God's truth and God's spirit was not bound by the lines that we have drawn. And the idea of nations, these other lines that we have drawn that shape our allegiances and our ways of moving about the world, those really only come up when others are talking about the impact of Jesus' teachings on Jewish status within the Roman Empire. And they only come up because the religious leaders are afraid that they might lose what's been defined as theirs if Jesus keeps running his mouth. He talks about kingdoms, too, from time to time, but more often than not, when he does, it's in reference to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and not to the earthly kingdoms we've created. 
And when we look at the dozens and dozens of times Jesus does use these phrases, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, more than 30 times he says kingdom of heaven in Matthew alone, when we look at them, this theme continues to play out that this kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus is most concerned with is one that builds a world that looks like the earth as we're told it was created in that poem from Genesis. When we look at the parables that Jesus uses to teach us about the kingdom of heaven, like the ones about sowing seed where it will grow best, and the mustard seed and the massive plant that it creates, both of those in Matthew 13. And when we look at his direct instruction to the disciples in John 21 and Luke 5 about casting their net to the other side of the boat, In all of these, we hear him reminding us to pay attention to the earth and all that is in it, about how it works, how it is intended to work, and all that it can provide us when we do pay attention to it. When we look at other parables, like those in Matthew 18 and Matthew 20 about landowners and their dealings with those whom they hired to work their land, we see Jesus describing the purpose of working the land and using its fruit to nourish others, not to do so to exploit the land or to exploit the people who make their living in the fields, but rather to provide enough for all of us. The first landowner forgives the debts of the worker who cannot pay what he owes, and the second landowner pays all the workers the same amount. And in both, the message is clear. The earth provides enough for all of us. It can sustain us if we let it, if we take care of it, if we pay attention to it, and if we work together caring for and not exploiting one another in the process, if we pay attention to the earth and not the lines we've drawn on it. As a kid, I never really paid much attention to maps. I don't know if it's because I didn't have to, because someone was always driving me somewhere, or, or why. Maybe it was that there were no real square blocks in the town where I grew up. But whatever the case, I never really paid much attention to maps. The way I knew how to get around town was, and still is, based off turning right or turning left at certain landmarks and getting lost when I go home now, because a lot of those landmarks aren't there anymore. I mean, I still can't tell you the name of some of the streets in Boone, North Carolina. But I did start to pay closer attention to maps and the earth and the way we have laid things out and the way the earth itself is structured. When my friend Boyce Upholt showed me a meander map of the Mississippi River. It's a beautiful map, a work of art, I'd really call it, with all the colors and the way it shows what's happening on the earth. I don't remember the exact map that he showed me, but I guess there were probably at least a dozen different colors used to highlight as many different paths the river had taken over some number of years. And as that river carved a natural boundary between the lands on its east and west banks, it moved, sometimes miles, in different directions. One year it snaked this way, and then a few years later it snaked another, and the boundaries that it established, at least the ones it established until the levee system stifled its movement to protect our investments, until that happened, those boundaries were forever on the move. 
What I love about what Jesus does when it comes to crossing boundaries and using earthen metaphors to help us understand deep truth is that he's always moving the boundary, never to trick us or to trap us somewhere. He's never moving the goalpost, but he is moving the boundaries. He's jumping them and tearing them down and relocating them until we can see that there's only one boundary that matters. And that's the one that reminds us that there's enough room and enough earth for all of us to live in the kingdom of heaven here and now. We just have to jump and tear down and relocate our own boundaries in the same ways Jesus showed us. I think Woody Guthrie tried to help us do that, or at least tried to help us envision that when he wrote, This Land is Your Land. Like so many folk songs, it's been sung in many ways over many years by many different people, and it's taken on a life of its own. And the version most of us learned as kids in school probably ended with wheat fields and fog rolling in. But there were a couple more verses that he wrote that, for whatever reason, we didn't sing in school. There's one about walking past a no trespassing sign and another about his hungry neighbors. Now, You don't want me to sing on this podcast. You'd stop listening to this podcast if I did. So I'll just share those other verses on Instagram. But suffice it to say, Guthrie didn't believe that all the ways we've subdivided the land on which we live was good. And that he believed that when we do that, some folks always get left out and get left behind. That's why Jesus never paid much attention to the boundaries we draw. That's not how the earth came to be. That's not how God sees it. That's not how we came to the earth. And that's why with his movement through the world and the words that he chose to teach us with, Jesus tries to get us to see the world the way God sees it. To remember that the earth wasn't just made the way it was as a starting point, but that it can still be that way today too. It can still provide all that we needed to provide. It can still be the home that we need it to be. All we have to do is take care of it. Because after all, this land was made for you and me. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.